Outrageous grace. So we're just about to start. Everything's okay. We're, we're going live. We want to welcome all of those people who are watching us live. Isn't that amazing that people can be watching us from all kinds of places whilst we're here this morning. So we just want to thank God for bringing us together and thank him in advance for what he's going to do because I believe he is going to touch every single lady in this place. Just take a moment and tell the Lord that you're opening your spirit and you're ready to hear and you're ready to receive. Remember that when we first started the book of, to study the book of Hebrews, we noticed that this book was written to the Jews, to, to Jewish believers, when the temple was still ongoing and before the destruction of the temple in AD 70, we noticed that it was a time when the world around them was being shaken. And we noted that this is very similar to our day, that we are living in a day when things, society is literally being shaken around us, as well as personal life. We were in the prayer room earlier this morning, and we know that people's lives are being shaken by what's happening and what the enemy is doing. And uh, we noticed that, that although it's, it was a time back then, whenever the world was being shaken, we noticed that the, the letter to the Hebrews was to encourage people to be confident to keep their confidence in God. And that's what the, this series is all about. It's about how we can be confident women living in dangerous times when things are shaking that we can walk through and we can walk through with our heads held high, knowing who we are and knowing who Christ is. So we're going to continue to look at Hebrews. Now, I was all set to jump into Hebrews chapter 3. I had a message and all prepared about the calling that God has on your life. And over the weekend, I just felt like God pulled me right back and said, uh-uh, you're not just going there yet. I felt that he wanted me to do a little resume of last week. I know last week was hurried because of the funeral. And I felt he wanted me to pick out a few points from last week and then to take us forward. And you'll kind of see where we're going, I believe, as we, as we, go, as we travel through this. So last week, we looked at Hebrews 2 and we looked at the first four verses. Let me read them to you quickly, just to remind you. Uh, this is from the New uh, King James Version. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, I know that some of the verses in Hebrews are, you've got to really think about them to, to kind of get what is he saying, but I hope that God has given me a, a help here to make it easy for you to grasp, because the heading that I've put over this is that last week we learned about this great salvation. We learned that the angel, the Old Testament, where, where the angels had given the law to Moses, was given through angels, that's what this verse is saying, that it was true. And the law was good and true, but it only showed us that we couldn't keep the law. And uh, this verse is basically saying that we have a better salvation in the New Testament. That when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, he became the perfect sacrifice, and we now have this amazing salvation, this free gift of salvation. And this verse is saying that not only did Jesus speak the truth and come with the truth, but the, the people who heard him, they confirmed it. And God himself confirmed it with the signs and wonders that happened following uh, what happened with the life of Jesus. And so here we are this morning and we have this 
Hebrews continually talks about it as being such a great salvation. And, and I just wanted to say over this point that you have been saved by the grace of God. It's our gracious grace. He loved you enough, Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross, to bear your sins, to become your saviour, to fill your life with his Holy Spirit. And this is a great salvation. It's a salvation to rejoice in because you have a hope for this life as well as the one to come because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this great salvation is one to be enjoyed. And I just felt that it was so important that we heed what it says here. We are not to neglect this salvation. Now, in other words, it's possible for us to receive Jesus as our saviour and neglect the power and the freedom that that salvation gives us. Would you agree with me? We can get it in our head and we can ask Jesus to be our saviour and have the experience of having him in our lives and yet somehow get stuck and neglect it and start to drift into worrying and anxieties and all kinds of fears. And we're neglecting God's free salvation because his salvation brings us into freedom and healing and liberty and assurance. So we don't want to neglect this salvation. We want to enjoy it. We want to put it into action. That was the first thing we learned last week. The second thing we learned was that we have been chosen to rule with Christ. And we can read this in the following verses, verses 5 to 8. For it says, God has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. He, he hasn't put the world into the hands of the angels. But one testifies in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. That's us. We were, we were created a little lower than the angels. They were heavenly beings. We were earth beings. You have crowned man with glory and honour and set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. When Jesus came to die, he restored the original. Back in the Garden of Eden, we were given dominion over the world. We were crowned with glory and honour. Because of our sin, we lost the glory. And we lost, Satan became the god of this world. And we, we lost it all in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the price to restore everything that we have lost. And now this salvation brings us back into a place of dominion, brings us back into a place where we are crowned with glory and honour, brings us back into this place where we can have everything under our feet. But it says, for he has, verse, verse 8, you have put all things, things in subjection under his feet, under man's feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ died, his salvation restores all that was lost in Eden. We are now crowned with glory and honour when we receive Jesus. We are now given, we are given the ability to rule with Jesus in agreement with him. And all the troubles that you have, you can put them under your feet. That's basically what it means. And then this little bit that it says, but not all things are under our feet yet, it means that we haven't come into the fullness of this yet. When Jesus sets up his kingdom, we will fully reign with him then. But at the moment, things are, everything's not under our feet, but we can go through this life bringing our troubles and the everyday things, and we can, we can stand on them. We can say, by faith, I agree with you, Lord. What does your word say? Your word says that nothing is impossible. So we put that problem under our feet, and we say, I agree with what God's word says. Nothing is impossible. 
Cast all your cares upon him. Lord, I agree with you, so I'm casting all my cares upon you. Everything that the enemy's telling me is under my feet. And we begin to rule with Christ in agreement with his word. We don't pray anything outside of his word, but when we agree with his word, then we reign with him. Do you agree with me? And so this is an amazing salvation that God wants us to be free and to be able to rule with God and not to let the enemy buffet us all over the place with worries and concerns and all of the stuff that troubles us. We just catch all of that, those lies, and we just bring them under our feet and we say, we don't listen to what you say, enemy. We listen and believe and agree with what God says. And God says with his strength and my weakness, I can do all things. I'm going to get through this. Everything's okay because God's with me. And we begin to rule with him. I love there's a verse in Romans 5 and 17 that says, If by one man's offence death reigned, so because of Adam and Eve, because of what happened in Eden, death reigned, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign, listen to this, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We are meant to rule with God in life, not waiting for a coming day, but now. We're meant to rule with Christ now. And we do it, Matthew 18 says that if we agree, two together agree concerning a matter, it shall be done. If we agree with heaven, that context, if you read Matthew 18, it's about agreeing with heaven. And when two of you come into agreement with heaven, then you claim what he- what, it's what, it's whatever heaven binds, we bind. That's, the, that's what it means. It means that we, we walk through life agreeing with what God says. And we can have confidence that when he says it, it is going to come to pass. The third thing that we learned last week was Hebrews 2, verses 9 to 10. We learned that Jesus is the perfect captain to take us through life. Remember, we, we asked the question, who's the captain of your ship? And so I uh, just thought it was important that we look at those verses again. Uh, to remind ourselves of what it says it says but we see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death we see him crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god might taste death for everyone so jesus tasted death for you and for me so that we would have no more fear of death verse 10 for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctified and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So what do we see here? We see that, uh, that he's the perfect captain. We see that he went, went through death for us. He tasted death for us. We see that he became a little lower than angels so that he could be just like us and that he could die for us. And because of that, I just wrote in your notes, it's important that we stop focusing on the irritations and start focusing, focusing on him, our captain. Listen, when we give him the helm to our ship, he can take us through stormy waters. Do you agree with me? And so it's important that we acknowledge that he has already gone through suffering for us. It says that he actually learned what it was like to become a human being by coming into a human body and going through everyday life just as we have experienced it so that he could identify with you, that he would know what it was like. Isn't it amazing that the God who created you 
humbled himself to come into a body and to limit himself so that he could identify with what it feels like for you. So he understands you and he understands what it's like to be a human being. And because he went through that suffering, he's the perfect person to be your captain. And I want to really challenge you today about giving him the helm. So important that we say, Lord, you just steer my ship. I'm, I'm not too good at this, Lord, so you steer the ship. And, and, you know, whenever I was a child, we used to sing, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Some people think that's a bit corny, but, you know, I don't think it is, actually. Because there is something that, even in the worst of times, going through the worst of times, we can have this joy rising up in us. When we know he's the captain. When he, we know he's got things in control, and he's the one who's driving the ship. Everything takes on a different lift. Now, that's as far as I've got. And then I came to Hebrews 2 and I was going back over uh, verses 11 to 16. And uh, I realised that the heading over this was that you are part of the family of God. And you know, I just couldn't get past this. I just felt that God wanted me to really look at this again. And I, wanted, I felt he wanted me to talk to you about what it means to be a member of the family of God. And last night I was doing something for uh, Ignite, which is a, a group that Alan Emerson does. It's a, like a discipleship group that lasts a year. And I was doing this uh, thing about the, the being in the family. And I really felt that God wanted me to share. So if, you, if you're there last night, I'm going to share some of the stuff that I shared then. But I really feel that God wanted me to do this before we go any further. Okay, so let's just read uh, Hebrews 2, verses 11. Uh, 11 to uh, 16 is it yeah okay so for it says for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren that means that he the one who sanctifies us who blesses us sets us apart is jesus he came to earth to become the same as us okay that's basically what that means for which reason he is not ashamed to call them now it says in probably your bible it says brethren put your hand up if it says brethren Okay, well, you've got to understand that when the Bible talks about brethren, it means sisters as well as brethren, all right? Because whenever the Bible talks about the bride of Christ, who does that mean? Does that mean just us? No, so it's, it means the males as well as the females. So that word, brethren, I am going to change now. I believe God's given me license to change it to sisters, okay? So let's just read it again. So it says... He is not ashamed to call them sisters, saying, I will declare your name to my sisters. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now you need to know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he destroyed the enemy and destroyed the power of death. Okay? And he released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Look at those words, fear and bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, that's us. Therefore, in all things, he has, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, or 
we're going to say today, like his sisters. All right, we're going to leave it right there. So in case you haven't noticed over the few verses that I've read, did you notice that it said a couple of times that he was made a little lower than the angels? Now, I think that the writer was stressing that to remind the Jewish believers that Jesus had become just like them, that he had become a true human being. Look, he was a truly, he was a real man, but he was also God. He was fully man, and yet he was fully God. And he came to experience what it was like to be a real man. And that is really, really important because he had to be a man and a real man if he was going to become the perfect sacrifice for us. There'd been Old Testament sacrifices that had been going on for, for thousands of years. It wasn't enough. It had, to be, it had to be a real person who was going to be the sacrifice. And only if Jesus became a man, kept the law of God, inside and out, not just, you know, we can make an attempt at keeping the Ten Commandments and all the Old Testament laws. We could, we could have a go at it. But even if we kept them externally, we couldn't keep them inside in our thinking. But he, he was able to do that because he was absolutely pure. He was God, yet he was man. And he lived a perfect life and, and therefore was able to become the perfect sacrifice. Now that's really, really important. And because of that and because of what he did on the cross, we have now been restored. And when, when it says at the end of Hebrews that, uh, you know, that he went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him, you need to know that Jesus set his face to go to the cross because he was thinking of you. You were the joy that was set before him. Because of his love for you, he continued to go to the cross to die and to suffer for you. Now, we, we noticed something last week and I, I felt that I didn't maybe explain it fully and this is why I really wanted to go back over this again because I think this is really, really important. We need to know that when Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking of us. We really need to grasp that, that he loves you as if there was never anybody else but you. You need to grasp that in your heart today. And in Psalm 22, 22, it says uh, something very similar to Hebrews. It says that in the midst of his suffering, that Jesus cried out to his father, I will declare your name to my sisters. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. That's what it says in Psalm 22, 22. And that was fulfilled because Jesus did call out to his father on the cross. And it tells us here in, uh, in Hebrews, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. That's the way it puts it in Hebrews. That's the fulfillment of that prophecy in, in Psalms. Are you all with me? Now, in the, in the Spirit-filled uh, Bible, in the notes of the Spirit-filled Bible, it says this, that this was a prophetic word that even now, whenever we start to sing praises to God, that that prophetic word means that Jesus joins in the song himself. Isn't that amazing? That as we worship him, because of the joy of his victory of the cross, that Jesus actually sings with us. I just love that. And the Spirit-filled Bible says that, that according to this, I will declare, in the midst of the assembly, uh, I will uh, declare your name to my brethren. They suggest that that means that as we are worshipping, and he is singing with us, that he declares stuff over us, that he releases a prophetic word over us. That's why so often as we worship, we get a sense of God speaking to us. 
we get a sense of, on Sunday morning we were worshipping here and I just felt such a sense of God speaking to me as I worshipped. It was like, I felt like a new awareness that I was his daughter and I was loved and I, I was favoured and it was just that sense of, oh God, thank you. It was like a fresh revelation. And as we worship, very often if we're open, we will have a fresh revelation of what God wants to download into your spirit because he's a God who communicates. We said that the very first week, didn't we? We can have confidence because he communicates. He loves us. He's a communicator. And he wants to catch your attention and he wants to download his love to you. Not a once and for all when you were 20 years ago when you first came to know him as your saviour, but as a daily downloading and infilling and, and rejoicing of who he says you are. Because you are not who the enemy says you are. You are who God says you are. And this is what God has grabbed me and wouldn't let me go ahead. He didn't want me to talk to you about the calling that God has on your life just yet. That's for next week. I believe God told me very clearly that I was to tell you that you were a child of God, that you were a daughter of God. And we're going to look over, we're going to look over at, at Romans 8 and we're going to see what it means. Why is Hebrews so insistent about Jesus being like us and about, and about us being his sisters? Because Jesus wanted us into his family. He, he, he was going to the cross to bring you into the family. He was going to become your brother. And, and, and in a sense, and we'll see that in Romans 8. And the father, the, his father was going to become your father. And you were going to be restored. All that was lost in Eden was being restored as he went to the cross. This is why we can sing. And this is why he wants us to appreciate what it means to be a child of God. So... Let's move over at Romans 8 and we're going to read a few verses and then we are going to look at this and I'm going to share some personal stuff of my own journey because I believe that God wants to do something really, really special to us this morning. I believe he wants to really take away fear and slavery mentality and all of that stuff. It says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Did you hear that? You did not receive the spirit of bondage or slavery again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Well, Abba, when I was in Israel with the group in the summertime, we were swimming one day in the pool at our hotel one afternoon and uh, there were some kids in with their dad and they were swimming through the pool and the little fella was running after his father and he was shouting Abba Abba and it just touched my heart and the father was loving him and playing with him and I thought that's the name I can call my heavenly father he's my Abba and there it was jumping around the pool this is what God wants us to enjoy this intimacy he is our daddy God he wants to bring us that close He's not a far off. He wants to bring you close. He wants to bring you into his heart. And so we see that it says we can call him Abba Father, Daddy Father. And then it says in verse 16, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you get that? The Holy Spirit bears witness in your heart. You know you belong to God because by faith you received it. And the Holy Spirit witnesses with you that you belong to God. You're a child of God. And then it says in verse 17, And if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. 
A joint heir is someone who is a, a sibling. He's our brother and we are joint heirs with him. Isn't that amazing? The Bible tells us that, that he asked the Father that, he would, that the Father would give him the nations. And I believe we have the same inheritance. God wants us to be going out for the people around us. God wants the nations to come to Christ. That's the inheritance that Christ wants. And it says, If children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there is suffering. Jesus suffered on this earth. He knows what it's like to suffer as a man. And there's a side that we do, we can't get out of suffering. We're still in the world. But listen, the future we have is amazing. We are going to reign with him. We are going to have an eternity with him. We are in the family. And this is what I wanted to speak to you about. I wanted to speak to you about the fact that when we receive Christ as Saviour, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we can hear God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. But you still have an old fleshly nature. And this old nature is a, a nature that has been used to slavery from the very beginning. We were born in sin. We were born far away from God because of what happened in Eden. It just went right down the line, generation to generation. We were all born without God. But when we came and accepted Jesus into our hearts, we become a child of God. We receive the Holy Spirit and God speaks to us. But the enemy will continue to try and speak to you through the old fleshy nature. The old nature that's used to being a slave. The old nature that's used to being like a spiritual orphan. Now, Jesus... Uh, gives us this term of being an orphan because in John 14 Jesus said I will not leave you orphans I will come to you so our old nature is just like an orphan and actually Satan is the ultimate orphan because he turned away from God he turned away from the, the father of the universe and he's the ultimate or and he wants you and I to live as if we hadn't a heavenly father he wants us to live like orphans and he wants us to have an orphan mentality. And an orphan mentality is, and is the same mentality that a slave has. It's like full of fear and full of bondage. Not any sense of belonging to God. No sense of God's presence. And so this is the way Satan wants you to live. Like an orphan, he wants you to have the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you, you have been brought into the family. That doesn't belong to you anymore. And this is what I want to speak to you about today. How do we recognise this orphan heart? Well, we've all been damaged. We all were born in sin. And we live in a world where everybody's damaged in one way or another, even from the womb. And I just wrote in your notes that Satan will continue to try and damage you and distort the beauty that God wants to put on your life. He'll try to stop the destiny over your life. He will try to wound you through trauma, disappointments, hurts, losses, abuses. But you know, one of the things that he does do is, he, he really attacks us, I find, mostly right from, from childhood, the enemy. Would you agree with me? That from, uh, with a, um, I think all of us have stuff from our childhood that if we stopped and thought about it, there were things that happened that maybe even yet we have memories of things that kind of wounded us or hurt us in some way or another. Because even though we might have really good godly parents, they're only human. The Bible says all of sin and come short. So the best of parents can't actually give us everything we need. Only God can give us and meet all of our emotional, spiritual, physical needs. Only God can do that. So human parents sometimes get it wrong. And even whenever they're doing a really good job, sometimes the enemy twists and makes a child believe a lie. 
Sometimes a, a child can have a perception that they're not loved, have a perception that, that because something happens that, that, that they, they take things the wrong way and they can actually grow up believing a lie and can be very wounded uh, through, uh, through childhood and through, through parents. So, uh, you see, things happen that can cause us to, to feel like that. Uh, when I was young, I, uh, I had a lovely childhood with godly parents and when I was just a couple of weeks before my 13th birthday, and I'm sure most of you have already heard this, but you know, in one day my life changed when, uh, when we got news when I came back from school that my mother had been in a car accident and uh, was very seriously ill. And the same evening, my grandmother who lived with us in the house died in the middle of the night. And a few days later, my mother died. So my father had to bury his mother and his wife inside a week. And it was obviously very traumatic. And then um, my, my mother's mother, my maternal mother, lived with us for uh, about a year and a half, a couple of years, until my father was about to get remarried. And she just couldn't cope with that. And, and she kind of left and became estranged to our family. So I lost all my maternal influence inside a couple of years and at that time I can remember when my mother was in the hospital and was knowing we were all praying that she would that she would live I remember as a, a young girl just 12 I can see myself standing in the kitchen in the house that we lived in Laurel Vale I can actually to this day see myself and I can remember exactly where I was standing and I remember making a vow to God God if you just save my mother I'll be the best daughter. I'll be so good, God. I'll do this and I'll do that. And I made all of these promises. But my mother died a few days later. But you know, that memory stuck in my head right up to this present day. And somewhere, it actually didn't happen until probably I was going through divorce and a lot of pain came up again, realised that memory was very strong. And realised that for years, I had been striving to be the good girl the perfect girl. I had been striving for other people's approval, even God's approval, that I wasn't really enjoying the freedom of God as my father and my mother. We're going to see God as a mother's heart as well as a father's heart. And sometimes because of hurts or losses, because of things that happen to us that nobody else knows about, we can make those little, I'll never be hurt again. Nobody's ever do that to me again. I will not trust anybody. Nobody will get past this. We can put up walls to people and walls to God. Would you agree with me? Yeah. All kinds of things can happen undercover when the enemy starts to work on the losses <coughs> and hurts of life. And God wants to heal us of those things. He, that's like an orphan. An orphan is afraid that they have to be, have to, Bear per have to be perfect or they're not going to be accepted and loved in the family. An orphan doesn't have the assurance that they are loved and accepted without having to strive and stress. And for me that was a huge thing. And, and, it's, and it's one of the things that God has done in my life over, over these years. And you see, God wants to set us free to know the Father's love. Because the Father loves you perfectly. He's the, he's the ultimate father. He's the one who loves you. And you know, there's so many scriptures. We probably haven't time to go into all of those scriptures. But there's so many scriptures that tell us about the love of the father and how he's the perfect father. Even the story of the prodigal son is amazing, isn't it? Where he's waiting, or the old father is waiting every day for that son to come back. And when, when he sees him in the distance, 
his father lifts up his skirts, which was unheard of in those days for an old Jewish man to show his knees to the public, and unashamedly he runs to meet the son. What an amazing picture of the love of God for us. He is waiting and watching, wanting you to come into his father's house, wanting you to, to know what it's like to be his daughter, that he can show his favour over you, that, that you can run in and out of his presence without having to be fearful without having to think, oh, I haven't done enough leaning, I haven't done enough praying, I have to strive a bit more to be a bit better before he'd accept me, before he'd answer my prayers. No! He wants to answer your prayers now. He wants you to come and be real. He wants you to know what it is to live in the Father's house. He's a perfect father. He is also the perfect mother, and I'm going to have to hurry up here a wee bit, but the El Shaddai is first mentioned in Genesis 17, whenever Abraham is 99 years old, and God appears to him and says, I am the God El Shaddai. It means the Almighty God. It also means the God of the breast. So we know that God is both the perfect father, the ultimate father, he is also the ultimate mother. He's the one who loves us. Remember whenever Jesus stood and wept over Jerusalem, what did he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you and put you under my wings as chicks but you would not. The picture of the mother hen wanting the, the, the little ones to come under her wings. And you know, when my, when my mother died, uh, and, and all of that sort of maternal influence was taken out of my life as a young girl coming into early teenage years, one of the things that God really used was this idea of God being the one who puts his arms around me. You see, one of the strongest memories I have of my mother is her holding me. I can remember as being a very young child, and not just once, but many occasions, where I felt her arms around me and felt her loving me with a hug that I can remember knowing that I was loved. Just by that hug. In those days, people didn't say, like parents didn't say, I love you the way they do now. Like I tell William I love him about 20, 20, 100 times a day. <laughs> like that boy can't walk past me without me grabbing for a kiss and love you. But back in those days, that didn't happen. Parents didn't do that. But I can remember feeling loved because of her arms around me and the way that she held me. That's why I always tell mothers, if you've got wee ones or anybody, in fact, anybody you meet just hugs them. Because we don't know who is desperate. We can show God's love to somebody just by holding them in an embrace. And so often, Psalm 91 is the El Shaddai. Psalm 91. You know, let, let me read it to you. Because uh, I love Psalm 91, where it talks about um, being under the shadow of the Almighty. And this, the word here for God is the El Shaddai. The God of the breast. I thought I had this marked and I, I, I don't. So hang on a second just to get the place. Um, sorry, it's hard to get a place with one hand. Yeah, here we are. I should quote it, but I don't want to quote it wrong. He who dwells in the sacred place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the El Shaddai. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. And so often I just see myself inside his big arms. I just see myself in there and I know I can trust and I can rest in his love. 
This is the El Shaddai, the mother's heart. The God who wants to be everything to you. We have to watch our time here. So we see that God's, God's uh, love for you is enough to fill you and to flood you with his love so that you begin to know better who you are. Do you know that you're God's favourite? I think you all need to turn to each other and say, I'm, I'm his favourite. You see, we don't talk, we don't talk like this. We, we talk in different language, but the truth is that God loves you. The truth is that he wants you to love him back. And he wants you to stop looking at everybody else because the orphan spirit is worried that things are not, there's not going to be enough for everybody. The orphan spirit is, well, if they're blessed, then maybe I'll not be blessed. And if they're blessed more than me, then God loves them more than me. That's not the way it works. God wants you to take up your true place in his house. The child who is a favourite one, who has the lungs of the house. The joint heir, the one that he says, come on, let's do it together. Yesterday morning I had a lot to do yesterday and I had this thought, the first thought came to me was, oh, you better go and you better start and pray for a few hours before you start this. And I just felt like God said to me, would you just come on and we'll get on with it together. Come on, I'm for you, I'm with you, let's do it. And I was just able to get in and get out of it and God was with me and it was amazing. I had a lovely day. So often we become a slave mentality. Oh, I have to go through this. I have to earn God's approval. No, you don't. God already loves you. God already approves of you. It's lovely when we come and spend time with him. But he wants to work with us. He wants to run with us. He wants us to, to be real with him. And to talk to him. And be real. And stop this our religious language that we get into. We're a child. We belong in the house. We, we have authority in the house. Everything that the Father has, God's given to us. Isn't that amazing? Let me read you just a little bit of the story, and then we're going to finish. Sorry, the time just seemed to go out there very, very quickly. This is a story written by Hedy Baker, who worked with orphan children in Mozambique. And she tells a story about a little orphan boy that they took into their home. She says, Ramadan is another one of our Mozambique children. When he first came to us, he would run around and bite and kick people, looking miserable all the time. Ramadan had experienced great pain in his early childhood and had never known love. He had been raised in a Muslim family and both of his parents had died. There was so much shame and sadness in him that he would not look anyone in the eye. Ramadan did not think he had access to Roland, to me or to our family. Like some of the other children, Ramadan could not comprehend what a fridge was because he had never seen one before. He would not dare move to go toward the fridge and he had never had a Coke in his life. So I took Ramadan by the hand and told him, that fridge has a Coke in it. You can go get that Coke whenever you want it. I also said, Ramadan, I'm going to tuck you in and sing you a song at night. I'm going to look in the eyes and I'm going to tell you that I love you. Then God started transforming his little heart. We are all a bit like this with God. We think things like, am I really allowed? Can I really open that door and drink of him? Does he really love me? But over time, God heals our abandoned and orphaned spirits. Finally, one day, Ramadan walked up to that fridge and took the first drink. 
The first time he opened the fridge door and realised that he belonged to the family, joy hit his heart and spiked across his face. He realised that he had full access to the house. All that is in God's house is available to his sons and daughters too. We're allowed to partake of his peace, his joy, his patience, his long-suffering, his healing and his provision. We are free to be intimate with him and walk into the secret place as a son and a daughter. You know, so often, so often we think, there's all to say here, some of us stand at the fridge door wondering if God's going to slap our hands if we dare to open it and feast in the Father's house. Or we think that God is low on cooks and wants to save them for the special children or at least save them for some other time when we are really good. So we timidly step away from God. That is the orphan spirit. Orphans compete with each other, always comparing and worrying that there's not enough. Worrying that if God blesses someone else, they'll miss out. Sons and daughters of God who are pure in heart give preference to each other, knowing that there's always enough in the Father's house. So when God welcomes you home, taking away your orphaned heart and giving you a pure spirit of sonship or daughtership, you can boldly come forward, realising that a loving Father declares, everything I have is yours. As we wind up today, I just want to really encourage you that God is a God who gives good gifts. I want to encourage you that God is for you. I want to encourage you that he wants to surprise you with his love and his goodness. Through the week, I've kept getting this memory I think memories are key. If you've got memories locked in there and you've never paid them much attention, I really encourage you to bring them to God and ask him to show you things from your memories. I had this memory of my father bringing my brother and I out into the backyard and he had a big crate. And I remember he started to go round and he used to whistle whenever he was trying to, you know, be cute. Trying to surprise you, he used to whistle. And I remember he pushed on the way and he was pulling this apart with a hammer, he was taking this crate apart. And my brother and I were dancing around. I don't know what age we were, but we were dancing, so excited, what was it? And I remember when he pulled it apart, it was a wee boat. We had a pond outside our house, a big, big pond. It's now Lauren Vale, it's now filled in. And, uh, and it was a wee boat, like a wee two seater thing, you sat on like a wee motorbike seat. And this was a wee boat he had got for us. It was a beautiful surprise. And you know, when I look back, I think my father must have been crackers to have trusted us. It was a really deep, dangerous pond, but he trusted us in that pond to let us loose in that boat. And you know, as I thought of that this week, I just thought, sometimes God surprises us. You know, it's almost like he's pulling apart things and we can't see what it is. And we're thinking, God, what are you doing in my life? What's happening at the minute? And, and you know, that big crate didn't look like it was anything exciting. But it's all, the more he pulled at it, the more we could see the excitement was growing, it was building. And I want you to know that God has good things for you. And sometimes it's a bit like you don't see them all at once. You know what? He trusts you. My father, I look back on it, he had faith that we were going to be safe from that, that we were going to look after ourselves. And you know what? God trusts you with things. And God wants to give you new experiences. And he wants to let you loose. And he wants you to know who you are. That you're his beloved daughter. Jesus says, you're my sister. Let's sing together and I'll sing over you. And, and, and I believe the Father says, yes. And I'm singing over you with love as well. Listen, we, we belong. We belong to God. We are different 
We're different. We're a peculiar people. We're different from the rest of this world. We belong to another kingdom. We belong to God, to God's house. And God wants us to enjoy what it is to be a child in his house, to have all his resources at our disposal, and to rejoice and to kick up our heels and enjoy the Father's house. Yes, there's hard things that happen. Yes, there's difficulties. But even in the midst of them, God can come and give us a joy that's supernatural. I've experienced it. I know many of you have too. We have nothing to fear. Satan comes with us, trying to bring us back into that mindset of bondage and slavery to fear. He wants, God wants you and me to be free of fear and to enjoy the Father's house. So Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Father, that your love is resting on us. We thank you that we are free, Lord. We're no longer slaves to fear. Lord, we can lift our heads up and we can run this race with you, knowing that you're at the helm, knowing that you have everything in your control, knowing that you understand what it's like to be us, Lord Jesus, knowing that you've gone through life, that you know everything about it, you know the pains and the temptations and the difficulties, and Lord, that you've loved us enough to make us your sisters and to bring us into the Father's house where we can cry, Abba, Father, help us to leave here this morning with a fresh vision of how wonderful you are, O oh God, and how you've loved us. Jesus, you've loved us even unto death, and how you want us to lift up our heads and to rejoice at where we are right now and for the plans and the purposes and the destiny that God has over each life in this place. We declare in Jesus' name that you will walk in the calling of God. We're going to look at the heavenly calling next week the heavenly calling that God has on your life. And we praise you, Father, that you are drawing us gently. You want us to know who we are, to walk in our true identity, and you want us to go forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a prayer there at the end, which we haven't had time. If you take time when you go home, if you feel that you'd like to pray that prayer, that would be just great. And to just ask God to really bring you into a place where you can have that healing maybe that you need. So. We're going to sing a song now. Everybody stand and we'll sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. <laughs>